Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy. I'm here with Mark Sayers. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. And Daniel. Hi. Merton. Great to see you. Intrepid Thank sound you. man. I'm actually always here. Yeah. Just behind the microphone. We yeah. reward you with sound time, air time <laughs> when you've behaved. <laughs> you've done a good job. You've done a good job. Do you guys have it? I feel like we've just gone to the habit now of we come in here and the first thing we do, we come to the studio, first thing we do is open Uber Eats and get pastries. Yes. I feel like this kind of Pavlovian effects come in and here we are without pastries and I'm, I'm salivating. Well, my goal is that the actual audience salivates. Like they see the orange of, um, you know, the Rebuilders logo on their phone and <laughs> they just start, you know, salivating over an almond croissant. Look, guys, Apple Danish. They're, they're big dreams. Yeah. Let's, we should um, do a whole episode on pastries just to really sell it to the audience. You reckon? Yep. I think that's what they're asking for. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Um, well, no, you're right. We don't have pastries today. But what we do have is some great thoughts put together by you, Mark. Um and we also have the remnants of half, half an eaten Mentos. What happened there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I, there was no pastry, so I was forced. Um, and uh, there may be no airtime for you, Daniel, next week, as the Uber Eats has not been ordered. Um, but I did. I did. <laughs> me. <laughs> I did. I did uh, put a Mentos mint in my mouth and realised I was about to speak and did spit it out. In a coronavirus uh, safe way. Was it though? Probably not. Um, well, let's just not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those of you who joined us last week, we did a deep dive into the 80-year history of um, <laughs> the world leading up to the Capitol riots. Um, we know many of you enjoyed listening to that and so thank you for joining us uh, in that uh Colourful history. That can you can I make with a, a, a sequel, a side point, really? Uh, yeah, quickly. go for it. So this 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 week, oh, I, I, I started watching it this week. The new Adam Curtis documentary came out. For any Adam Curtis fans out there, of which I am an admirer, and fascinating, similar, so many similar themes. Really interesting. Oh wow! Um, yeah, What's yeah. the uh, can't get you out of my head? Okay, um, it's seven and a half hours. Okay, of of meta thinking bliss. Can't get you yeah. out of my head. Mm. All right. Oh, Great. You condensed well, it down to an hour and 15 minutes. Exactly. So. Take that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown. Mm. So this week, rather than looking back, we're going to be looking forward. 2021 is already kicking off to be quite a different year. It's, um, yeah, a year like we haven't experienced before and probably requires some reframing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really interesting because, again, this really weird psychological moment of the year starting and we are we're talking about Pavlovian responses and pastries. We almost have a Pavlovian sort of learned response that the year kicks off and there's a certain feeling and mm. you know that there's sort of energy, particularly here in Australia, we have our big summer break and then you hit January and church year particularly is just like, you know, you sort of hit the ground with momentum really until Easter. Mm. And uh, it's just this framework, you know, the new year's begun, there's potentials, you know, you're thinking about, um, you know, so many different things you want to achieve, but it's just been this really interesting, um, different experience, you know. And in Australia, we've had a number of sort of mini lockdowns and people thinking, you know, we've eradicated and then it comes back in a little way and different strains and, and 
you realize that that sort of learned response that almost we think of years as containers of, of phases and events that yeah. in many ways that it's really just a calendar year. And so I felt like there was this really important moment now to how do we think well about 2021? Mm. When you can't plan like you normally do, you can't have your usual expectations, how do you plan well about 2021? And I feel like there is this – currently there's this tiredness that so many people feel. Yeah. There's a lot of discouragement. Um we recorded a little um, video in which I spoke and put it up last week, I think it was, or yep. just recently. I can remember, and um, uh, you know, just encouraging pastors who I think are almost under unprecedented pressure. And it was just you know a huge response um, in views and people getting back to to me and sharing how helpful that was for them. And you know, I feel like so there's this there's this huge almost I would call it a sentimental drag. Mm. And what I mean by that is like there's this huge drag that's on us now to almost pull us back to what was before Mm. and you know i believe that there's actually a number of things that god has wanted to do but this sense of us to return to status quo Mm. to return to this time before things were difficult to return when we could meet like we used to meet all these different things culture was different there wasn't all these pressures in the culture you know um, that is really strong at the moment. And I think the danger with that is that God uses these seasons of difficulty to grow us in immense ways. If you look at the history of the church, if you look at the history of individual believers' lives, turnaround moments happen at moments of great pressure. So the danger is when there is this sort of sentimental drag to go back to what was before, you can miss out on the growth that is happening and you can miss out on, in a sense, the spiritual treasure that is to be found in times of testing. We see this in the people of God during um, the wilderness experience where Mm -hmm. God, you know, they go on this sort of, you know, all over the shop uh, journey through the wilderness, which is not the straightest path. Mm. Why? Why does it take so long? Because God is actually doing something in them in this wilderness time. But what happens is they escape Egypt where slavery was uh, and they were actually restricted. But then they're thinking, continually thinking back, not to the promised land, but back to Egypt. Their their gaze is always backwards. So I sort of feel like we're a little bit of a moment like that. Mm. There's a sense of grumbling and many people listening who are leaders are finding that really difficult pastorally is there's grumbling and people have so much opinions and a variance of opinions now like – um, about what should happen, what the leaders listening to this should be doing, um, you know, and maybe even just for that, you're grumbling in yourself about this situation and not wanting to be here. So I thought it would be really important. How do we reframe this moment actually with not a sentimental drag to go back to Egypt, but how do we look at this through a renewal framework? Great. So you've come up with uh, four different, I guess, elements of our lives that we need to reframe mm. or suggesting we need to reframe should we launch into the first one? Yes. Okay. Reframing our thinking. Yeah. So I, I think that there is this tremendous opportunity to reframe how we think about the world. Um, in many ways, I think a lot of a lot of what is a lot of us have not expected the psychological effect mm. of the pandemic. So there's the elements where you might go, you know, the pandemic would come, the world goes into lockdown, people are sort of isolated, or they're you know, sort of, um, you know, hiding in their homes, you know, or whatever from, you know, the virus. And, you know, that would naturally make people unhappy. You know, we understood all that. But I think what um, we're noticing now is that it's also created this other kind of huge psychological break. It's almost a mental reboot. Mm. Um, 
often we talk about, you know, let's talk about the start of the year. There's almost this psychological break where you see people who want to have news resolutions. They start jogging or, you know, want to eat differently that year or try and change their character. We're seeing that, but it's, it's completely even more intense. And I think this operates in a couple of ways. Like the first one is that all of a sudden the unthinkable now became thinkable. Uh, we never thought that you would see New York, London, Tokyo, Beijing completely empty. Mm. Like those images still from the early part of the pandemic were quite shocking. We just never thought that would happen. The idea that Australians, you know, we can't go overseas or we can't travel. We, you know, can't even go interstate a lot yeah. of this time, you know. Um, th- I thought that would ever happen in our lives is, is almost unthinkable. Um, the fact that the global economy would go into this sort of pause moment that governments would just start paying people like what's happening here in Australia um, for not working. Like there's all these things which looked unthinkable and not just around the pandemic, the capital right we spoke about um, last week to see a QAnon shaman <laughs> in you know the speaker's seat, it, it just unthinkable images. Um, and what happens is what that does is it breaks this pattern of thinking. Often our thinking is so conditioned by what has gone before. And all of a sudden, when something that happens that we never thought that we would see, that then opens up our thinking in all kinds of other ways. So in many ways, what this has done is there's a way to reframe this from a renewal perspective is that all of a sudden now, this opens up new possibilities. And it breaks open sort of doorways to new decisions as well. So once you realize that, hang on, the world doesn't have to be like this. There are possibilities and things have happened. Where you know, if you'd, if you'd said the whole world... You know, I've thought about this. If, if you said to our 2019 selves um, and said, you know, it's 2021, uh, February, uh, the world is locked down. 2.2 million people have died. Um, there is rioting you know, in Europe. There's been, you know, civil unrest, you know, you've seen in, in the United States. The global economy, you know, is in this, in this way. You know, like if you said that, you would just literally think we're an apocalyptic movie, but we're sort of living through it now. So in a sense, once you, you know, see this very different possibility, it makes you think in these new ways about the world and then leads you to new decisions. There was an article um, which came out in the Sydney Morning Herald um, a couple of weeks ago, and it talked about Australians and the psychological effect that this pandemic is having on them. And what it said is that people are making, re- they're rethinking and contemplating how they live their lives. And so it's leading to this moment of new decision-making, people leaving big cities, going to the countryside, people you know, beginning new relationships, ending relationships, thinking of new careers. There are people buying cars. There's all these decisions being made and I think this is a result of this almost circuit breaker, rebooting mental thing that has happened in the pandemic. So how do you think about this as a leader? Well, I think we need to think about this and we need to steward thinking. This is happening in the culture. The pattern's broken. If you think just everyone is thinking to go back to the start, that's not necessarily true. It's like the doors of what is possible have been broken open. So I say that we actually need to then start seeding questions. So as leaders, you, in a sense, help people by giving them information. We preach or we teach or whatever. But also you can also ask really helpful questions. So, for example, even just questions for yourself, like what opportunities for the gospel are there now in this unprecedented situation that there was not there before? Um, If everything has changed and there's going to be things that don't go back to what they were, if people are literally looking at how do I 
there was the, the great quote in that article was like, Australians are contemplating now in this circuit breaker moment, how do I exist in the world in a different way? How is that a good news opportunity moment for people? So how do we reframe this instead of saying, there's all the terrible things that are happening, you know, and there are terrible things, I'm not hiding from that. How do we not just think, how do I just go back to what was before and operate on the old script? This in-between time is an in-between time where I think it's the sort of bridge to the next era. So how do we use this opening of new thinking that can occur at this time and actually prepare us and prepare the people that we're leading to what, how we will operate and flourish for God in the next era? So we need to reframe our thinking. that's um those last couple of questions are actually a really good segue into the next um of the four number two which is reframing creativity yeah we very much um in the developed world live in a culture of affluence and consumerism and really it's a culture of you know what some have called super abundance not even abundance but super abundance um you know where People replace TVs regularly. TVs are just getting better where, you know, you have everything. We joke about Uber. It's the fact that we can just press a button on our phone and pastries can be delivered to our door. You know, we don't even have to go and get them anymore. Um, so in a sense, what what in a culture of superabundance, it tells you, it's an ideology that you will be happy and you will flourish when you get more and more stuff. Now, we actually know through the research um, uh, that that the more that you have, the more abundance, that also increases your anxiety. You get choice anxiety. And in a sense, you also get passive. Um, you know, Has anyone ever had the experience of, oh, I'll watch something tonight, I'm a bit brain dead, go in front of Netflix, I want to find something to watch, and then 40 minutes later you're still toggling through options. Mm. Um, and you know, that can be made worse when you've got not just Netflix but Disney Plus or you know, you've got like 20 things you can go through. So in a sense, one thing that we've forgotten is that actually – Restrictions feed creativity. Restrictions feed creativity. Necessity is the mother of invention and crisis feeds and seeds creativity. And I think this is what so many people have missed in this moment. You know, you think about some of the sort of great art forms of the 20 and 21st century, you know, hip hop doesn't begin on Park Avenue. It mm. begins amongst the sort of birding buildings in crisis 70s New York in the Bronx. Um, you know, punk doesn't begin, um, you know, in sort of, I don't know, halls of Oxford. You know, it begins in sort of, you know, falling apart East London amongst this sort of poor, disenfranchised working class. Um, just pulling out random examples. You know, Alfred Hitchcock's classic movie, Psycho, which I think is one of the most incredible sort of psychological expositions of evil in the human condition. Um, that's when he sort of like hates a bit of a crisis in his career. They actually had to shoot that movie. It's in black and white, unlike some of his previous movies, because he didn't have the budget. The, mm. the studios weren't giving him that. He actually shot it with a TV crew not a movie crew but then you watch that movie and actually the, the sort of black and white the way it's shot 
um, the actual limitations that he had then forces him to be more creative. And, you know, if you have like, you know, I remember reading about creativity, I think it was Edward de Bono talked about this, that if you just have unlimited options, you struggle for creativity. But if you say to someone, hey, there's an art festival on, you've got to short, shoot a short film, it's got to have an orange and, you know, a Band-Aid in it. Actually, weirdly, as human beings, when we have some limitations, that mm. actually aids our creativity. And I feel like so many people are focusing at this moment on what we can't do, particularly around church. But what if we reframed that? That actually this is a necessary restriction, like or not necessary. This is this is the restriction. We can't do anything about it. But there's actually a way that we can reframe these restrictions, limitations, and uh, you know turn them actually for good. That what if this is actually a moment where God wanted to reseed creativity? There is an element where in mass culture. Um, consumerist culture, everything's looking the same. I've spoken before about the fact that, you know, traveling around the world in the way you could before this moment, you know, downtown, you know, in London, you're starting to forget where you were. It looks like New York, H&M stores everywhere, you know, flat whites everywhere. You know, what if actually at this moment there was not this sort of like mimicry that we have that sadly also can sometimes happen in the church where someone does something in worship, which may be totally right for that context and brilliant, but then one mimics it that preacher preaches in that particular way, which again, may be what's on that person's life, but then everyone mimics it. What if actually at this moment, there's all these incredible, creative, unique things that God wants to do in this moment of limitation, and we just need to reframe it, that this is actually the unlocking of creativity in the church through a difficult circumstance. Mm, that's great. Uh, the third one is reframing re resilience. I was about to say resilience, which is incorrect. Resilience, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like one of the sort of commentaries that I felt, you know, often flew around um, was that, you know, the concern among some older leaders that you had a new generation of leaders coming up and there's a generational concern, which, you know, lots of people have, have written about of, yeah, talent, but does this next generation of uh, coming up and including then, you know, Christian leaders, um, in sort of younger generational cohorts, you know, do they have the resilience? Um, lots of commentary around entitlement and, um, you know, like, or, you know, what happens when the chips are down? Um, mm. And, you know, I actually feel like, well, the only way is, you know, you're not going to develop resilience through information. Um, and there's all kinds of programs now in schools to help kids develop resilience, which, you know, people have recognized in the educational system that, you know, this is a deficiency. Um, but I think that you only really learn resilience through actually walking through difficulty. So here we are, <laughs> better than a program. And I just feel this will actually be the making of many leaders this time. Um, but what this has also done is it's unearthed the real expectations. Often, um, you know, our when things go wrong, it could be a relationship, it could be a new sort of startup endeavor, it could be a new church, is things are fine until people's expectations aren't met and then the real expectations um, sort of bubble up to the surface. Mm. And, you know, I think this is happening so much at this moment. There's lots of churches when we could do everything and it was all working and the church could operate at this sort of high level of capacity um, and people sort of in a sense got what they want. 
in this moment, like people are stretched. You, know, you can't see your people. People are, in many ways, it feels like you're doing a TV show, putting on your online service, but then you're trying to, you know, people coming back with in-person services, there's num- number limitations and, you know, all of this going on. And all of a sudden what's happened is the real expectations of congregations have been unleashed. And it's really hard on lots of pastors because they're getting people who think they've opened up too quickly, not opened up quickly enough, um, you know, wondering, you know, what's going on, all of the political expectations, cultural expectations that pastors are feeling. Um, and, and what this is doing is I think lots of people are just not enjoying this moment. Mm. Now, what that also does, so in a sense, what that has done is it's unearthed the expectations of congregations, but then I think it's also unearthing the expectations of leaders that, hang on, why am I in this? Did I join this because I saw pastor so-and-so or hero so-and-so and I wanted to be like that? And mm. they seem to have influence and fame and a platform and if I copy and follow them, I'm going to get that. And so I actually think some of the mythic stuff, the mythic leadership, that you know, myths that we have around Christian leadership, particularly in this age of image and age of celebrity, um, that that's also the expectations that perhaps we've had, that ministry is going to always be fine. Now, when I read the classic heroes of faith, I const- face constant criticism, constant mm. pushback. Um, you know, I just was reading this morning about, you know, a group of, of um, uh, you know, missionaries who, you know, had this mini conference in, in China in the 19th century, after which the next morning they're all slaughtered, you know, <laughs> like by, you know, by a mob and... You know, that, those, those stories have always been part of those inspiring stories of faith of, you know, at the worst, even people losing their lives to, to other people just, you know, suffering tremendously. But it's almost like we entered into some weird bubble where that story disappeared and the story was, no, do A, B, C and D and you're going to have this big platform and you're going to be well known and have this many Twitter followers and Instagram followers and this many people watching your, you know, live stream download of your whatever you're doing there. And so I actually think what's happening here is there's a recalibration around what are the actual rewards of ministry that we are looking for and God is building resilience in us and he's actually showing you've had the wrong expectations. And so in many ways, it's actually a reflaming of difficulties that, mm-hmm. is, that needs to happen here. Difficulties become, Jesus said this, you know, we're about to enter into to Lent and the, the thing that we really feel God calling us to do this year is the verse in the Gospels where it says, you know, if whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, we probably have almost been in a John 10, 10 moment, you know, whoever, you know, Jesus comes to bring you life in abundance, which is true, but that's always going to be held with that. Take up your cross, deny yourself. And so I think we're at, a, you know, we're at a sort of Matthew 16, 24 moment actually of taking up our cross at this moment. But in the midst of that, in the midst of difficulties, there's also opportunities because as leaders, we realize that, hang on, this is not actually about a moment of self-actualization where you do ministry and then you feel like, oh, I'm rewarded in this particular way. Wow, I feel great. Um, what this is actually doing is saying, this is actually doing it for Christ and there's an invitation in the midst of difficulty to a deeper intimacy. What you do notice in those great stories of men and women and stories that are happening in many places in the world today um, of suffering is that they then have access to this intimacy with God which I think many Christians, particularly in developed worlds and many Christians in so much of contemporary Christianity have no understanding of. Um, so, you know, I think also if you're looking culture-wide, in the midst of difficulty as the culture is having to learn resilience, I think this mythic dream world 
that so much of is being pushed at us of this wonderland of consumerism of that life is all about these existential adventures also uh, experiential adventures that you continually go on that's breaking down so there's an opportunity a gap between idols i've talked about a lot um you know so anytime there's suffering i've talked a lot about you know crisis breeds renewal or brings renewal or crisis precedes renewal so in a sense, what's being done in the midst of these difficulties, it's really hard. And I'm praying constantly for pastors and Christian leaders, men and women around the world, serving God in the midst of this difficult moment. But I'm also recognized biblically that suffering is good soil. Mm. And you know, this is God is seeding renewal soil in the world. Um, and actually, you know, whilst we may be physically restricted, we can't travel like we did and we can't do as many things as we did and go to restaurants maybe or concerts or football games or whatever it is we may be restricted but we're actually in a moment where what is being seated is an accelerant of spiritual growth you're actually being released into spiritual growth through a time of restriction and suffering I guess yeah, we take this uh, these these learnings of resilience and maybe take them into the following one: reframing mm. ministry models. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I think also there is this moment to rethink and reframe ministry models. Um, again, what a reboot! That literally our prime ministry models had to stop. Mm. And you know, again, to you can focus that. And I think reframing is the skill of going, yeah, this may be hard, but how do we think about this in a different way so that we can actually understand and uncover what are the opportunities in this moment? You know, I've said continually, I don't think God caused this pandemic, but he's let it happen and he's going to turn it to good. So how do we partner with him in turning it to good? And so I'm asking the questions like, well, what are the new opportunities for this moment? How does this pausing of our prime ministry models um, actually aid us? Now, a lot of the commentary is, you know, you hear from people who, I guess, have pushed back against some of the lockdowns and so on, like, you know, the government stopping church or, you know, the people can't worship. Well, no, there's one model that we can't do at the moment. We have to look at the hard reality that there are movements of God that are happening in parts of the world, particularly where there's persecution, but they can't have Sunday services. They can't have huge gatherings and loud worship and all of this. Um, you know, I think of the stories in North Korea where people would secretly gather in very small groups and have to whisper worship songs, you know. And so I actually think like we need to reframe this moment and go, you can grow with incredible growth that you would kill for not doing Sunday services and not doing, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do. So, you know, I think that we've been through it. We've gifted a stress test of our weaknesses at this point in time, particularly around Sunday worship. And look, you know, I, you know, for many years did ministry with, you know, Al Hirsch and Mike Frost. And one of their big critiques in sort of these prophetic voices, you know, around the church is, you know, asking the question, how much of the church was a Sunday-centric, attractional model of church? And, you know, I think that has been shown up in many ways. Now, again, I'm not saying get rid of Sundays. We're, we're going back to some in-person services on Sundays. 
But when you've got all your eggs in one basket, when your entire imagination is just around a Sunday service for one hour with a certain style of worship, and you actually feel that the government has shut that down because they've simply stopped you doing one thing out of a whole retinue of things, we have a problem. Um, so I actually think, you know, for me, and it's not even like for me, I'm not like, oh, the future's house church because there's times like we haven't been able to meet in house churches because of the lockdown. For me, it's not big versus small or attractional versus, you know, this or whatever as much as it is. Let's think about this with creativity. Like the potentials that you can go local but also global at the same time are just incredible. We're discovering that, you know, there is this sending out, like there is this moment of scattering. Just as the church in 70 AD in Jerusalem, uh, you know, was actually scattered out into the world. They didn't want to be sent out. If that crisis hadn't befallen the Jerusalem church in 70 AD when the Romans sort of came in, that perhaps the gospel wouldn't have gone out in the same ways. So sometimes God will use crises to scatter people. And I think there is a digital scattering. We can't move, but there's people, you know, coming online. I know Nikki Gumbel, who for years at, from HDB in London, you know, where the Alpha course came out of, for years, you know, didn't ever want to do Alpha online. Felt that it just didn't have this, um, you know, in-person, eating together, you know, huge values of the Alpha course. Um, but he now says, you know, it was forced into it going online through the lockdown and now says he he... he had no idea of the potential that could be unlocked. That's a model change that happened because of the coronavirus pandemic. But I'm asking the question, what is true of that in so many other areas? And it's not just about digital church. Um, you know, we're looking at things like we've found people, like we could do a pop-up service in another part of Melbourne because we're discovering people there. Like, you know, you might do one service in once a month and then people do, you know, gather in smaller homes. That's going to look different wherever you are. But I think there's a moment of experimentation, of release, of actually thinking, hang on, we just can't have all our eggs in one basket. It's, it's Get even the spiritual thing for a second. It's just bad strategy. Strategy is the expanding of your options. Um, but I think also from that spiritual sense, one other thing just to touch on as well, I think there's a huge reframing of what it is our pastoral models. You know, so often the model that so many people have in their head is of the pastor who visits everyone and you're cared for when you get, you know, a, a visit from the pastor with the Bible under their arm. And there can be some beautiful moments where pastors reach out. I don't want to diminish that. But so often what that does is it creates this almost paternal pastoral model where really people, in a sense, uh, you know, sort of subcontract out their spiritual growth to these, you know, professional Christians, um, you know, and so much of the contemporary sort of church model, um, in a sense, has I think at times like what's being exposed is the discipleship stress test moment has been as exposed as this thing of giving people this sort of product, this religious goods and service. Um, so, you know, how do we actually use this moment, reframe it as an opportunity to actually make mature disciples in the midst of this moment? Um, you know, how do we recognize this has been a discipleship stress test? If your people can't come to Sunday worship, how well have you prepared them? Um, you know, and one of the things that often said in, um, you know, so like if you want to, dis you know, disciple someone, you know, how well would they be discipled when you're not there? And so I think that's a moment which we need to step into at this time. Okay, this is really helpful. So for the four things that you're inviting us to reframe, uh, reframing our thinking, reframing creativity, reframing resilience and reframing our ministry models. Yes. I, I feel like from, you know, I guess to end, 
this has been this difficult time and so many leaders are struggling. And you know, I've heard stats out of the US that like, you know, 80% of people are going to leave. I'm, I mean, I've heard anecdotally in many other countries that same sense. But I, you know, the ultimate big reframing is this really difficult time where it's been so much pressure, so much pushback, so much confusion, so much isolation, so much difficulty, not being able to operate like you normally operate, maybe budgets dropping, people leaving, you know, all this stuff happening, you know, literally people being ill in your congregation, all the political stuff that's come up, you know, tensions, all of it. In a sense, we can want to think back to the time when none of this was happening. But I want to reframe. Like, what if this is actually the moment you were born for? What if God in his sovereignty knew that you would be alive at this time? What if actually you feel like you're floundering and you're, you know, sitting at home and, you know, you turn on the email, there's all these people with a million opinions. Um, You know, what if this is actually the moment that God called you to lead in? He knew, he's gifted you, he's, he's equipped you. And when you step into obedience, that's actually when his empowering is released over you. And I just want to ask the, I guess, the question, like, what if in 10, 20, 30 years, you know, we look back at this moment and, you know, we realize that this was the moment when actually that renewal began, Mm. that actually something was being seeded in us. And what if our future selves would be saying to us now, keep going, just wait, he's doing something, have patience, have perseverance. And, you know, what if we actually end up looking back like that time was so hard but, you know, I, I never felt more alive and I've never felt God closer. And there's actually this thing where like that was actually when all of this started. So that would how I encourage people to perhaps reframe the possibilities of this time. Yeah, it's great. And I guess that is our prayer for you who are listening. Um, yeah, we pray that you get the opportunity to reflect on this, see it with God, ask him what he's inviting you into in terms of reframing this year. Thank you and we'll talk to you soon.